0: Wake up, sheeple. The Ministry of Magic wants you to think crumple horde and store aren't real. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club that knows the truth is out there.
1: Now, He removed a tottering pile of papers from an armchair and sat down, his wellingtoned legs crossed.
2: How may I help you, Mr.
1: Potter? Well... It's about that symbol you were wearing around your neck at Bill and Fleur's wedding, Mr. Lovegood. We wondered what it meant. Xenophilius raised his eyebrows.
2: Are you referring to the sign of the Deathly Hallows?
3: I'm Heather Price-Wright. And
0: I'm Alex Dallenberg.
3: I don't know even how we start these.
0: We do them so infrequently. I've been starting a new job. It's been... There's just been a lot going on.
3: Yeah, I know. But I think I feel I'm like in
0: a better rhythm now.
3: We keep saying that, and we say this all the time. So, hey, we'll make them when we can make them. We are fully committed to getting through this friggin' book.
0: We're limping over the finish line of the Deathly Hallows.
3: But, so, woof.
0: Sorry about that.
3: I mean... I don't know. It is what it is.
0: From now on, twenty percent of all Quibbler podcasts will just be apologies for not publishing enough Quibbler podcasts. It's
3: like old school WordPresses. Yeah. Sorry, I haven't <laughs> written in a long time. Um, it's just been really crazy. I feel like it's just been really crazy. Is such an annoying thing to say, but <laughs> it's just been really crazy. Yeah.
0: Sorry, guys. Sorry, we haven't posted. It's it's been really crazy.
3: God, this is boring. Hi. <laughs> this is a Harry Potter podcast, not a podcast about apologizing for. Being, I don't know, millennials in the workforce. Boo fucking who! This week we are reading the chapter called Xenophilius Lovegood. In addition to empty complaints about how incredibly hard it is to have great jobs that we like. You will hear spoilers and cursing in this episode. You will also hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are your friends' parents, cryptozoology, the Fourth Estate, Wellness Grifters, and Cool Big Brothers. Alex, my dear, what happened this week?
0: Well, in this week's chapters, Ron and Harry are feeling a lot better about their Horcrux quest now that they've actually destroyed one Horcrux. You know, it's like you check the first thing off your to-do list and every, you know, it just feels a lot better. It's like making your bed in the morning or whatever. They have a feeling of accomplishment they think that they're about to be a lot more productive now.
3: Did you just compare destroying a Horcrux to making your bed in the morning? I mean. That is the most hashtag adulting thing I've <laughs> ever
0: heard.
3: That's pathetic.
0: Destroyed Horcrux this week, hashtag adulting. <laughs> uh, the other day I was like, man, I could totally write a Harry Potter like productivity book. It would be the hackiest thing I've ever done, and I would feel, like, shame for it, but I think would actually be pretty good.
3: Life hacking? Harry Potter and the Life Hack?
0: Or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Harry Potter and the Art of Getting... Th- I don't know. Harry Potter and Getting Things Done? I would think of a better title, but we've kind of been over it. The Pensieve? That is a tried and true... Life hack.
3: That is accurate. All
0: your thoughts, and you have to come up with a system to capture your thoughts and tasks.
3: And revisit them at a time when you have mm -hmm. time, and and revisit them at a time when you have the mental capacity and clarity to dig deeper, as we would say in terrible work (laughs) speech. There was a great article called garbage language that came out this week. That is resonating. Oh, fucking resonate is another one. That it's just on really vul- resonates it's on with vulture. me.
0: vulture.com. Uh, just look it up.
3: I just, everybody just, me. Maybe not everybody, that's not fair. I talk like an automaton now. So this podcast is a really helpful way to curse more and say happy to hop on a call less.
0: <laughs> the other hacky thought, while well, I was thinking of my very hacky Harry Potter productivity ebook. I was thinking, well, how does Dumbledore like get it done? He's got the pensive, but does he like wake up in the morning? Does he write a to-do list? Did he, does he use like an Eisenhower productivity matrix? He's like, okay, destroying Horcruxes—that's urgent and important. Uh,
3: that's an Eisenhower thing. Yeah. The urgent and important.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Important but not urgent, etc. Yeah. I don't understand what urgent but not important means.
0: Uh, I think it's like a super. Hmm. I don't remember. This is where we're going to have to God, do our this is so boring. <laughs> would you all listen to a Harry Potter podcast solely about personal productivity?
3: Actually, people would. Probably
0: people would. I think
3: you should write the ebook because I think we'd Make a weird amount of money with that particular product.
0: I would be dunked on endlessly on Twitter, and I don't know if I have the mental like space for it because that would be hacky. That would be a hack thing to write, but I could do it. I have it within my wheelhouse to write.
3: Write it under a pseudonym, and then (laughs) those in the know will know.
0: (laughs) Anyway, what happened
3: in these chapters? In the
0: chapters, so Harry and Ron are feeling better. One chapter. Sorry. Yeah, one chapter. Wow. Harry and Ron are feeling they have a sense of accomplishment, which is allowing them to move forward. Fuck. <laughs> um,
3: Just to loop back here, what happened? They've
0: destroyed a Horcrux, and, you know, they're sort of theorizing about where the other Horcruxes might be. <coughs> it's at Hogwarts. Go to fucking Hogwarts. Uh, Dude, the
3: Rowena Ravenclaw bust shows up in this chapter with shit on her head. A clue, a clue.
0: (laughs) I didn't even think about that.
3: Oh, really? Yeah. The second it was like, and then she had like a thing wrapped around her head. I was like, it's the fucking diadem, you guys. No,
0: but it's not the diadem. No, I know, but it's
3: symbolic of the Uh, diadem. Get a grip.
0: But Ron and Hermione, they're still sort of not really on speaking terms. Ron tells Harry a little more about what's happening in the outside world. We learn that... The way the Death Eaters found the trio on Tottenham Court Road was the Death Eaters had put a taboo on Voldemort's name. So if you say Voldemort, it, like, creates a magical disturbance and they know where to come find you. Because only anti-Voldemort people will dare even say his name. So that's a pretty clever bit of surveillance magic.
3: It's weird because sort of like political twitter has done the opposite where they only say like 45 or they do okay a thing that confuses me on twitter is where you put a star in someone's name even though it's not a curse word is that so it's not searchable yeah
0: i think that's it oh yeah. okay so well so like the other troll armies for the other can't like find you or whatever oh, i think that's it
3: oh that's so what's his face at the bedbug guy can't search himself on twitter and Brett find Stevens. you calling him a bedbug yeah
0: It's so Brett Steenb. B Star D B U G (laughs) can't find you on Twitter. Um, yeah, it's actually kind of like that though.
3: It's the opposite.
0: Or the opposite of it.
3: Where hashtag resistance types won't dare not speak the name. Which I don't know. That's just not a good point. It just reminded me that when people say like 45 instead of like just his fucking name or the drum thing. I don't know. None of that's very powerful. Let's take this out. We'd
0: know the book, Heather. Read another book? No, you're reading lots of other
3: books. I have not finished a book in months, actually. It's pathetic. Ooh. I don't know how to read anymore.
0: No, you read the book by uh, Martin Miller, Madeline Miller.
3: I know, it took me like two and a half months to read. Like, right. I don't know how to read anymore. It's really, it's rough. It's been rough.
0: Well, then maybe you should read another book.
3: I know, I literally should. Everybody <laughs> that is, everybody that I'm sort of semi-competing with at work is like six books ahead of me in their yearly reading goal because everything is productivity.
0: Alas, that's another reason I shouldn't write a Harry Potter productivity book because I don't actually believe in personal productivity. Yes, you do. I mean, you I do and I don't. super manic yes, about I it like manias.
3: once every six weeks.
0: I, one day I'll write an essay about this to share with everyone my complicated relationship with with personal productivity.
3: We gotta get through this summary because not even very much happens. not a
0: very productive summary, unfortunately. We didn't actually set aside space to talk about the taboo, but I just think that's a really cool device and it sort of helps explain why people are afraid of saying Voldemort's name. So I like that kind of backfilling of context here.
3: Well, but it's new. So it's not actually why people are afraid of saying Voldemort's name. But they know that
0: he has the power to do that. No, they don't. Okay, well, maybe not.
3: No, it's just because they're cowards. Oh. I think it's cowardly to not call things what they are. I guess you're right. I don't know if I'm right. Yeah. I just right. said well, a thing. I then, just, then just what I, I do. I just said then, a thing.
0: <laughs> maybe I like it because it, like, gives some teeth to that. Yeah, that's fair. Where it's like, oh, we were scared of it. That was kind of stupid. Oh, no, now there's, like, actually a really good reason to, like, fear saying the name.
3: I actually so think... So I, like,
0: I like him kind of putting some... I like Voldemort sort of putting some teeth into that.
3: I think it's interesting for the opposite reason. Because... It is actually a really sound way to identify his enemies because they are braver in the face of his actual power than his sort Mm. of like squishy, like, I don't know, both sides types. Yeah. I think it actually, Voldemort has sort of intelligently identified a way to call out the people who are specifically resisting him rather than just sort of, like, chilling and seeing what happens and, like, hoping nobody they know has anything bad occur, right? It's like
0: no, that makes sense, yeah.
3: The thing about it is, is saying Voldemort is a mark of being in the Order, so being, like, an actual sort of fighter. Right, right. Rather than sort of, I don't know, and I guess it's not fair to call civilians, like, people who just, like, stand by and let it happen. That's, like, fucked up and unfair, but, you know. I agree with Dumbledore that not saying the name only gives more power, but now Voldemort is, like, weaponizing that in an interesting way. I
0: think it's cool and creepy that it's a literal restriction on free speech.
3: It's not a restriction, it's just an incredibly intense consequence. Well,
0: yeah, I mean, but that's, is that the same? Fair enough. Yeah. The autocratic ministry is so powerful, it can literally, like, physically stop you, or not really physically stop you, but it it can make, like, certain words, like, de facto illegal to even utter...
3: But I, I guess what I'm saying cool. is it's worse than illegal. Right. It's not illegal. It's it's like an extra judicial death sentence yeah. to say the word. Yeah. Is this is any of this good? I forget how to podcast. Let's <laughs> sort of fine. see what happens. We'll roll
0: with it anyway. Uh, back to what's actually happening in this book. Harry's wand. It's still not really working. He's got the weird Blackthorn wand from the randos that Ron punched in the stomach somewhere.
3: Oh my god, I forgot that Ron was just like, we're just gonna brawl.
0: Yeah, Ron gets into a street fight. (laughs) Such good Ron Um, (laughs) content. Ron tent. Ron tent. (laughs) Hashtag Ron tent. So everybody's still hanging out, camping. Ron plays with a radio at some point, because he says there's this cool underground radio station that is... Kind of pushing back against the ministry approved stations but you can't access it because you need a password i don't really understand how a password works on the radio but there's like magic involved uh, Hermione announces that she wants to go see Xenophilius Lovegood because he might know more about the mysterious symbol that she's found written inside Tales of Beetle the Bard. They also saw it at the graveyard in Godric's Hollow. In, it was Grindelwald's mark, apparently, and it also turns up in the biography of Dumbledore because Dumbledore signed his name with it, where the A in Albus was supposed to be. So, so Hermione thinks the mark is a lot older than Grindelwald for obvious reasons and she wants to go ask Xenophilius about it because you might remember he was wearing it at Bill and Fleur's wedding. Harry's pretty skeptical but Ron backs up Hermione and they hold a vote and Harry's outvoted. They win a super majority. Harry says to Ron you only agreed to try to get back in Hermione's good books. Ron says all's fair in love and war and this is a bit of both so frankly that's Ron's that's one of Ron's best lines.
3: Yeah, it's pretty pithy.
0: Yeah, that's good, Ron 10. <laughs> so they head off to the Lovegoods, who live near the Weasleys around Ottery St. Catchpole. They apparate there. Ron says it's weird being so close to home but not visiting. Hermione says, Didn't you just go visit your parents? So Hermione made the same mistake as us. We thought Ron went home during his weird, like, horcrux sabbatical. <laughs> But he actually was crashing at Bill and Fleur's new place, Shell Cottage. Bill wasn't super happy, but with it, Ron walked out on Harry and Hermione. But, you know, he's a good bro, so he let him stay there. Ron felt like he couldn't go back home for good reasons. Uh, largely because he was super afraid of what Fred and George would do when they found out that he fucking deserted on Harry Potter. Uh, fair. That is a fair fear. Lovegoods have a pretty super normal chill house. Uh, no, just kidding. It's a giant, creepy fucking tower uh, with...
3: A truly wild garden yeah, situation. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> there's a sign outside the door, it says, or the gate, or I forget what the entrance situation is. It says, the Quibbler editor, Xenophilius Lovegood. There's a sign that says, pick your own mistletoe. And the third says, keep off the dirigible plums. Which turns out the original plums were the radishes that Luna was wearing, is always wearing his earrings, right? That's right. Yes. What an awesome name. Xenophilius is not happy to see them, even though in the Quibbler, he's been exhorting people to support Harry Potter. He's pretty weird and squirrely. Uh, His house is filled with models of lots of strange, uh, fantastic beasts, as it were. Uh, And there's an old fashioned printing press churning out copies of the Quibbler.
3: Every time we see the Quibbler in the wild, I get a little excited. Yeah, I just
0: appreciate it. And sort of
3: forget that that's why we named our podcast this. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god, it's just like our podcast. Oh, <laughs> yeah, dear. Wait. HP dubs.
0: Hermione gasps in shock because she sees an enormous gray spiral horn mounted to the wall. Xenophilius says it is the horn of a crumple horn Hermione says, no, that's an erumpent horn. It's a class B, tradable material and extremely dangerous It can explode at the slightest touch, so uh, I wonder if it's going to explode (laughs) in this book. Maybe. Lovegood says he bought it as a gift for Luna from a wizard who knew of his interest in the creatures. Xenophilius says helping Harry Potter, it's very dangerous, I'd love to, but, you know, that's a career risk at this point. Um, Xenophilius tells them that Luna is out in the garden fishing for freshwater plimpies and will be up soon because she's definitely around.
3: Nothing weird here.
0: Nothing weird here. So eventually Lovegood reluctantly agrees to help and he leaves to go get some fucking tea. Ron and Hermione say he's a coward and hypocrite for like calling on people in the quibbler to back up Harry Potter. And then he's like, you know, less gung ho in person. Harry takes a moment to himself and looks out the window toward the burrow and pines for Ginny. He's so close to Ginny, yet so far. Like two ships passing in the night. Harry also sees a stone bust of a woman wearing what looks like golden ear trumpets, and they've got like wings attached to the straps around her head, and uh, there's also a radish.
3: Diadem thing. Yeah,
0: thing on her head. Lovegood comes back with tea, and he says Harry's looking at one of his inventions. They are Raxbert siphons. Raxbert siphons remove all sources of distraction from the Thinker's immediate area. And he says once again that Luna will be up in a moment and says, Now, how can I help you? Harry says he wants to know what the symbol he was wearing around his neck at Bill and Fleur's wedding means. Xenophilius then raises his eyebrows and says, Are you referring to the sign of the BUP BUP buh motherfucking Deathly Hallows? And that's what happens in this week's chapters. I think that's the latest in a summary I've ever gotten a... Uh, motherfucking
3: but it came at the right moment it did because
0: title of the book
3: yeah most exciting there's a god who's the fucking comedian there's like a a very sort of like wholesome comedy bit that's basically like i'm always fucking stoked when i get to the part in the book where the title shows up (laughs) uh if you know who that is let me know it actually well whatever i just remember being like yeah me too fuck yeah I love it when we find out where the title comes from. I
0: feel like there's a Family Guy segment about that. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, I didn't want to say that, but I think there is. Okay, I don't know if that's what you're thinking of, though. But
3: to be fair, you know, a backwards clock is right.
0: A broken sometimes. clock is right twice a day. Not a, ba- I <laughs> a guess A backwards that's also- <laughs> clock is right
3: sometimes. That. What is a backwards clock?
0: I don't know. There's it's- probably one in Xenophilius' house, though. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Certainly. So perhaps it's because we are reading these at a pace that has become absurdist and... Glacial. Honestly, like, a joke at this point. But people are hard on this book for being Harry Potter and the interminable camping trip. Early on in the camping trip we were like this is actually pretty fun like we're fine with it. It's not as bad as we remember but I'm, I'm fucking bored. There <laughs> like, is a
0: point in every camping trip where it's like time to go home. It's time for a shower.
3: Yeah. These guys need a shower probably pretty desperately. Probably literally. No I know. I, I think they are real stinky. Yeah. And that might be why Hermione is having trouble cozying up to Ron because maybe she's like I smell dog <laughs> anyway they just keep going on these side quests and it's like oh no we got to go over here like that da, 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 da. and then you know they have to go over whatever this is all of which is to say I'm a little sick of this stretch of camping and I'm really excited for when there's a dragon which is soon
0: yes so it's about to get there's gonna be a fucking. Roller co- like think a literal roller coaster ride soon, so.
3: They have at least made it into a roller coaster in the vast and endless effort to monetize every single scene. Every in aspect Harry of Harry Potter. Potter.
0: <laughs> um, pick your own dirigible plums or whatever. So
3: we need to pick up the pace, partly because we have to make our podcast, my God, <laughs> But partly because I'm bored and we need to move past this this little bit of a dip.
0: Yeah, I guess it's a low energy moment in the... Uh, there right?
3: are multiple paragraphs of Harry practicing like basic first year magic while Hermione reads. <laughs> like that's not a scene we need in this book, really. I mean, maybe we do. We need lulls in between the dragon roller coasters. Then again, also, kind of in a similar and also opposite vein, I can't believe we're fucking doing this again.
1: Hermione, we don't need another Godric's Hollow. We talked ourselves into going there and... But it keeps appearing, Harry. Dumbledore left me the tales of Beedle the Bard. How do you know we're not supposed to find out about the sign? Here we go again. Harry felt slightly exasperated. We keep trying to convince ourselves Dumbledore left us secret signs and clues. The Deluminator turned out to be pretty useful, piped up Ron. I think Hermione's right. I think we ought to go and see Lovegood. Harry threw him a dark look. He was quite sure that Ron's support of Hermione had little to do with a desire to know the meaning of the triangular rune. It won't be like Godric's Hollow, Ron added. Lovegood's on your side, Harry. The quibble has been for you all along. It keeps telling everyone they've got to help you. I'm sure this is important, said Hermione earnestly.
3: After Bathilda, like, they show up, Xenophilius is being weird as fuck, and Harry's like, yes, confidently stride into this fucked up house where somebody is not all right.
0: Harry is the one with reservations in this case, so props to Harry. I, it turns out, was 100% wrong... Was 100% wrong that Ron would be the fucking, like, canary in the coal mine for danger. I was wrong about Ron's spider sense, because Ron fucking... Votes to go to Xenophilius's house right now.
3: I mean, he would have steered them away from Bathilda because Hermione thought Bathilda was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. He's just on Hermione's side. Also, he's sort of making up for lost time. He's like, we gotta do something because I just like bounced for a while and I'm back and we have to have an adventure because I
0: <laughs> I missed the last one. I
3: missed Snake Corpse, you guys. But it's like,
0: yo, we've seen this movie before. Everyone has somebody has grave reservations about going to a location to find out more, about, I don't know, to get some like
3: we haven't seen this movie before we just literally did this yeah. and there was a snake inside a corpse y'all
0: well it's not that bad there's just a fucking like nitroglycerin like horn <laughs> like
3: it is that bad the <laughs> death eaters show up it's oh, yeah. worse All
0: right.
3: also yes speaking of things that you look around see and bounce we've got Fucking Chekhov's arumpent horn here. (laughs) Like, oh, that's an explosive. Will it explode? (laughs) A clue, a
0: clue. 100%.
3: A thing I really like about Xenophilius, and that feels actually more relevant in 2020, even than I think it did when these came out, is he's just a fucking wellness shyster.
1: They heard the front door close. And a moment later, Xenophilius had climbed back up the spiral staircase into the room, his thin legs now encased in Wellington boots, bearing a tray of ill-assorted teacups and a steaming teapot. Ah, you have spotted my pet invention, he said, shoving the tray into Hermione's arms and joining Harry at the statue's side.
2: Modelled, fittingly enough, upon the head of the beautiful Rowena Ravenclaw. Wit beyond measure is man's greatest
1: treasure. He indicated the objects like ear trumpets.
2: These are the Rexpert siphons to remove all sources of distraction from the thinker's immediate area. Here
1: he pointed out the tiny wings a billywig
2: propeller to induce an elevated frame of mind. Finally
1: he pointed to the orange radish.
2: The dirigible plum, so as to enhance the ability to accept the extraordinary.
3: He's out here with all these sort of like pure life essential oil that will cure your cancer and make you clear headed and able to like harness the full power of your mind products like this is so contemporary wellness bullshit. I adore it. (laughs) I'm listening to this podcast right now called The Dream. The first season was about specifically about multi-level marketing slash pyramid schemes which was great and the second season is sort of about the wellness industry more broadly and it's not as good it's just not as like tightly made but it's still really interesting. So I sort of have the like vast grift of Supplements and treatments that will unlock your potential, type bullshit on the mind. And this feels very in line with all of the things that, like, to go back to an earlier episode that Gwyneth and company are shilling for. Speaking of Gwyneth, somebody, a
0: listener, a dedicated listener,
3: a gem of a human being named Natasha. Sent us the vagina candle in the mail. Uh, it came to my work. And I showed it to <laughs> everyone there. <laughs> it came to my work because that's the address that I use. So we will make a video of us. A
0: review. Smelling yeah, that. A review, yeah.
3: And spoiler alert, I can smell it through the box. And it just smells like flowers. So Not, not a vagina. I mean.
0: Maybe a vagina somewhere. Maybe mm, Gwen's vagina.
3: Maybe Gwen's vagina. Good for her. Not a not a familiar vaginal scent, but we'll see. Okay, so we'll move away from this, but <laughs> suffice it to say, we'll do a video smelling and reviewing this candle. We're very excited about it. The packaging is gorgeous, obviously. Gwyneth is nothing if not good at an eye for product. Are you
0: saying it's a nice box?
3: Christ almighty. <laughs> that, that was the worst and the best. That's
0: maybe a bridge too far.
3: <laughs> no, I liked it. The Um, Vagina
0: candle is in a very nice box.
3: I do feel like magical wellness would actually be a huge industry. It's kind of surprising that Xenophilius is as fringe as he seems here because why is any of this more absurd than actual magic, really?
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Like, you can fucking, like, eat some seaweed and you've got gills all of a sudden. I don't understand why dirigible plums like making you more receptive to the unbelievable or whatever is how is that any different than gillyweed
3: also didn't it turn out i guess the movie implies that rack spurts are real yeah so i just think sort of alternative treatments and medicinal herbs and that kind of thing would have a much more of a home in the wizarding world and it's interesting that Rowling expresses really deep skepticism for sort of like off the beaten path treatments and stuff here. I don't know. I have really mixed feelings about this kind of thing because it is often just a grift and it disproportionately harms people who have less access to more conventional medical care because it targets them because they can't afford to do things like go to the doctor. So I find it really unscrupulous but I also don't actually think it's patently absurd especially for more marginalized communities distrust medicine and the medical establishment which that actually probably puts me a little fringier than a lot of my kind of like demographic peer group and I don't think you should use essential oils to treat your cancer but I also get Being worried that the mostly white male dominant or traditionally not so much anymore. But the traditionally like white western kind of colonial mindset male dominant medical establishment would not be as good at treating people who aren't that. So we don't need to dwell on wellness grift for very long. I have super mixed feelings about it. Suffice it to say, I think xenophilius fits squarely in that genre of sort of semi-scrupulous possible true believers. But I think, I think the Wizarding World would have a lot of this.
0: <laughs> I think it's also interesting how she draws the connection between this these kind of like yeah wellness product semi scams and fringe media because. I, this is very, like, Alex Jones of him. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, basically Alex Jones, the InfoWars guy, it's like, I don't know, he's got this whole conspiracy theory right-wing media empire that essentially exists only to sell dietary supplements. Like, that's where all the money comes from. It's not like ads. It's like these, It's like fucking weird apocalypse protein powders. So, I don't know, there's just something... It's funny that this is, that Xenophilius has this fucking, like, side hustle to the Quibbler, which might not even be the side. Maybe this is how the Quibbler makes fucking money from fucking Raxbert like, earplugs or whatever. I don't know. The
3: alt-media to alt-health connection makes total sense because sort of all conspiracy theories link.
0: Right, yeah, it's interesting. It's where the far right and the far left kind of, like, loop around and, like, meet in a way.
3: Or it is one of the sort of core interest areas shared by those mistrustful of the state or sort of conventional information or whatever on both far sides of the political spectrum. Yeah, you're right. And I don't, I mean, you know, xenophilias, I don't think we can position as like left or right because that's irrelevant in the magical world virtually, obviously. But we do see that there's an obvious connection between a general distaste for conventional wisdom and a specific distaste for conventional methods of treating illness and or maintaining health. Yeah. So this does make sense to me. I just think it's really, it's quite funny and it's very, I think it's very prescient and sort of well-drawn of Rowling that this is a a xenophilius sweet spot.
0: I think Xenophilius is also another great example of Rowling's deep, deep skepticism of media. Really any and all media. Because Xenophilius, he's running something very different than the Daily Prophet. And you know, he's right to back Harry Potter. But I, I don't know. Is he right for the wrong reasons? Um,
3: yeah, she or, we've talked about this before. Yeah. She views most production of news as inherently unscrupulous or suspect in a way that Right,
0: cuz he's a, yeah, he's drawn it's a very unflattering character in a lot of ways even though the quibbler fulfills this important purpose.
3: Well, and it only fulfills that purpose after years and years of being just like a rag. Yeah. <laughs> like the quibbler is very recently the the quibbler is only very recently politically relevant at all. Yeah. And alternativeness for alternative, alternativeness sake seems to be Xenophilius' bread and butter up to this point. And yeah. backing Harry Potter is at this point alt. So
0: <laughs> so on the one hand, it kind of bums me out because, you know, I'm from media and media obviously has a lot of problems. But I also know a lot of people who are brave as fuck and who tell stories in places that, that wouldn't be told otherwise, you know, who like really... Take risks, um, and the implication of the Xenophilius character seems to me to be that, like, oh, I don't know, Scribblers, they talk a good game, but when the rubber meets the road, they're not going to deliver.
1: We need some help, said Harry, before Hermione could start again. Ah, said Xenophilius. Help. Hmm. His good eye moved again to Harry's scar. He seemed simultaneously terrified and mesmerized.
2: Yes, the thing is, helping Harry Potter, rather dangerous.
1: Aren't you the one who keeps telling everyone it's their first duty to help Harry, said Ron, in that magazine of yours? Xenophilius glanced behind him at the concealed printing press, still banging and clattering beneath the tablecloth. Ah, yes. I have expressed that view. However, that's for everyone else to do. Not you personally, said Ron. Xenophilius did not answer. He kept swallowing, his eyes darting between the three of them. Harry had the impression that he was undergoing some painful internal struggle.
3: Yeah, I mean, we do meet the alt radio folk soon who are kind of the only, like a true underground media source. I'm fucking
0: stoked for that.
3: Well, it's Lee Jordan.
0: Right. Which is the shit. One of the and, true unsung heroes of Harry Potter. Lee
3: Jordan is a great undercurrent of just, like, good news. He in... makes
0: it right. Does he doesn't, I hope he doesn't die.
3: I don't remember. Oh my god. So many fucking side characters die, it's horrible. I'm gonna riot
0: if I find out, if I'm reminded that Lee Jordan does.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't remember.
0: That being said, however, a thing that I really appreciate in these books, and it's it's sort of meta- J.K. Rowling, it's sort of meta in a book for young readers. J.K. Rowling is teaching her readers to be critical readers. Because, yeah, the Quibbler's right about this one thing, but it's wrong about lots of other things. So, like, media sources can be right about some things and wrong about others, and it's sort of the responsibility of the reader to decide based on... The information being presented, context, who's writing it. And you see this in these books again and again with the potions book. Uh, those spells like work, but who wrote them? Why were they written? Uh, Tom Riddle's diary. Uh, anything written by Rita Skeeter. The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore contains accurate information that Harry like needs to hear. But other things Rita has written don't, don't hold up. I just think that's a cool thing. So much of these texts are about these texts within the text and how the characters interpret and make decisions about them. Uh, And I I, I just think that's a neat thing.
3: I like the point about The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore because I think I have thought of the book in the past as sort of a net evil and... You know, you all know that I have in the past had a sort of soft spot for Rita that was all but eliminated by her treatment of her, like, elder abuse of Bathilda Bagshot. But you're right that it plays a pivotal role in Harry's character development and in this adventure. Like, it contains really key information for the remainder of the series. Right.
0: And what the trio have to do is pick out the clues that are helpful to them or the things that they think pass muster and then disregard other aspects of it that are like more editorializing or less relevant. It's sort of about how to read books.
3: Well and we're about to delve into honestly one of the key texts of the series in more detail because we're about to get to the tale of the three brothers and so it's we're visiting a whole new kind of narrative because it's a sort of parable that has this like important kernel of truth but has gotten passed down for so long that there's no connection between it and this incredibly important reality. So yeah no she does interesting things with texts. Really important things. And I think you're right it's I would be really curious if there are Are any connections made? I mean, I think folks now kind of teach Harry Potter. So I wonder if any teachers of young people have sort of explored that aspect of it. Because there's a fair amount of some version of, like, fake news in Mm -hmm. the book. So they are actually really useful kind of guideposts in being a critical consumer of news media. Right.
0: And yeah, and her message is, it's actually pretty nuanced. It's not, don't trust the media. It's, analyze the media you consume the media and books you consume
3: but it is don't trust the producers of media <laughs> because rita skeeter and xenophilius lovegood are right a fair amount of the time but they themselves are portrayed pretty unsavorily. yeah
0: pretty much every writer in these books is just a horrible human being
3: which i just really wonder what kind of self-awareness or sense of self goes into those portrayals. Yeah, because I mean... uh... Most writers kind of lionize writers in their fiction. Like, I feel like there are a lot of boring literary fiction short stories and novels about kind of thinly veiled semi-autobiographical like writers having trouble writing, which is not particularly interesting fiction most of the time. So I like that J.K. Rowling, who is... Probably the most famous writer on the face of the earth currently alive, yeah, I would say. I right? I think
0: that's besides Stephen King. Yeah, I, yeah. It's I like think her and Stephen King. Yeah,
3: and she is at best really gimlet-eyed about the profession of writing, and at worst, like pretty scathing.
0: Yeah, and you know, there's also there's Gildory Lockhart. There's the weird dude who's like buds with Sanguini. I don't even remember that guy's name, but he's sort of oily and unpleasant. So it just, what does she think about people
3: who make this their profession?
0: Yeah. And it's funny because I mean, based on everything we know about Rowling, I think, you know, she has, she's sort of thin skinned and like, she's sort of like these writer characters she creates. Oh yeah. Which is interesting because that shows a level of, I guess, self-awareness.
3: Or there's like a deep current of, kind of like subconscious self-awareness here. I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, certainly I can't get into her brain enough to understand how much of the portrayal of people who write for a living is self-referential. But also because we have to think about, at this point, as she's writing Deathly Hallows, she's already like rich as fuck. Mm -hmm. So she is the person who has become outrageously wealthy and successful and popular by being a writer, and she is... Profoundly critical of people in these stories who have done just that. Yeah. I'm so curious about where that it's comes really, from. It's
0: really interesting.
3: Yeah. I'm trying to think if there are any writers or sort of writer adjacent people who are not like all good, like good guys with two capital G's, but even remotely likable. No, they're all pretty nasty. Yeah. Xenophilius is actually probably the best among them because at least he's being nasty under pretty extreme duress. Right,
0: and he's sort of true to himself or (laughs) whatever.
3: Until the end. He
0: sticks to his vision for the most part. But I mean, anyone who puts anything down on paper, Snape's spells, riddles diary.
3: Yeah, we are mistrustful of virtually every major... Book, text, whatever. Except, well, except for Bathilda, actually.
0: That's true. But even
3: Bathilda is not portrayed in her prime. No. We don't get to see Bathilda as a talented, young, vigorous, significant historian. We see her way, 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 way after that. So we don't get to experience the exciting Bathilda. I guess we trust Hogwarts a history for the most part.
0: But they leave out, like, key aspects of, of like, the house elves. That's true. Stuff like that. Yeah. So I don't know.
3: It's interesting. It's good
0: work. It's a good layer. It's uh wow. See these books are good.
3: Who's your unsung hero?
0: My unsung hero is Bill Weasley for letting Ron crash, and I think he he just did the good brother move here. Uh, you know, like let's credit, let's throw Fleur in here too, because. It's her house um, as well. So Bill and Fleur being good family members, holding Ron to account, but not just kicking him out of the fold.
3: I'm going to say something horrible in corporate ease just for the fun of it. I'm going to actually double click on Fleur specifically (laughs) because, you know, she's the one doing the cooking and the cleaning here. Bill is just like chilling with Ron and and talking and like telling him what's up. And Fleur is actually doing the caregiving. (laughs) Uh, probably. Although maybe not. Fleur doesn't actually seem that domestic either, which is great.
0: Maybe they have an equitable distribution of labor. Who knows? Who knows? knows? Maybe Charlie's like one of the, not Charlie, maybe Bill's one of these like handy in the kitchen guys. Firing up the barbecue or whatever. Magical barbecue.
3: My unsung hero is actually just saying a rousing RIP to the erumpent who gave his horn. Buddy for Xenophilius' misguided obsession with crumble horn snork hacks. It is not this animal's fault that it has a bomb for a horn <laughs> and or that Xenophilius is a cryptozoologist maniac. So This errumpant got poached. It did. I am really curious about the black market errumpent poaching market. But that is for another story. Where do you think they even live? Is this like meant to be like a non I mean, I'm assuming it's not, like, an English countryside
0: (laughs) animal. I I don't know, man.
3: Maybe this is something that Charlie has experience with. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm sure this shit is described. No, actually, Hermione says it's in Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, so.
3: I'm not reading that. This
0: information is readily available. You're not going to read that?
3: Fantastic Beasts, the book? We could
0: stretch out the quibbler so far on all this fucking end matter.
3: We're going to try something new. Stay tuned.
0: This week's episode is brought to you by Dirigible Plums. Um the Dirigible Plums taste like Dirigible Plums. I don't I don't know what do they taste like?
3: I don't. Oh, that's tr- that's a yeah. Willy Wonka reference. Yeah. Um isn't a dirigible like a blimp?
0: Yeah, it's like a blimp.
3: Do they float? Why are they called this?
0: I don't know. It's a fucking cool name it's a
3: really good word actually dirigible is a delightful thing to say so is diadem honestly i'm gonna Mm -hmm. say that a thousand times in the episode where we in fact find the diadem a
0: lot of good wordplay. in uh she's at her best she's rolling is uh just doing yeoman's work at the naming of shit in this chapter
3: absolutely accurate the audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of penguin random house audio they are from jim dale's performance of harry potter and the deathly hallows you can subscribe which is a really good idea because who the fuck knows when we publish these which I'm gonna I'm done apologizing for like it happens um, when it happens. So subscribe on whatever service you use because that's the only way you'll really know <laughs> when we make one. We're gonna we're gonna try. We're gonna finish so if that's what matters I guess. Anyway, um, rate and review us if you feel so inclined interact with us on social media. We are at Quibbler Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We love getting direct messages from you. We loved getting this candle although certainly you should not feel compelled to send us gifts. It was extremely kind and funny of this person to do so. We've gotten some really lovely presents so thank you and um, we adore you. We really do. You can send us an e-owl if that's easier for you, quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. We do have a newsletter, Alex is sort of figuring out his life right now so we will revisit it when we can so again if you would like to know when that is you can subscribe at tinyletter.com slash this is a two human operation and we are figuring it out so the next time we show up in your podcast feed which will hopefully be soon we will be reading the chapter excitingly called the tale of the three brothers we'll talk to you then
0: thanks amigos
1: When Hermione had returned to her bunk, Harry lowered his voice. You only agreed to try and get back in her good books. All's fair in love and war, said Ron brightly. And this is a bit of both.
0: Oh boy, I usually only get this excited when they say the title of a movie in the movie. (gasps) Of course, here
2: it is. Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Sorcerer's Stone.
3: What's that? Chamber of Secrets has been opened. Enemies of the air,
0: beware.
1: The Goblet of Fire!
2: So what is this place? Its headquarters.
0: Of the Order of the Phoenix. Who's the Half-Blood Prince? Who? That's what it says right here.
3: This book is property of the Half-Blood Prince.
1: What is it? Well, it's the sign of the Deathly Hallows, of course. The what? what? The what? The Deathly Hallows.
0: Try not to need investigating for a bit. I will. A quiet life for me from now on. Back to the ministry,
2: deliver my manuscripts.
1: I'll look out for it. Fantastic beasts and where to find
2: them. Oh, that's why they call it that.